Operation Finale is a historical movie that invites discussion on the difference between justice and vengeance and the importance of recognizing the image of God in every human being. Are you just watching episode 85, Operation Finale? Welcome to the podcast that shares critical thinking for the entertained Christian. I'm E. Franklin. I'm Tim Martin. And we decided to delve into something a little bit more serious this time around. Not that things we've done in the past haven't been serious, but <laughs> this one is a very serious movie and uh, dealing with a topic that I don't know much about personally. And you're the history buff, so you are going to carry the weight of this episode, I think, just a little bit, Tim. I think I could do that or at least fake it. Before we get too far into it, the movie is probably fading from theaters. We were a little late getting this episode recorded. We had a bit of a busy month this month. Yes, we did. We both, well, I wasn't busy. I was lazy. I was sick. And you were busy. <laughs> so I I, I have bronchitis. Uh, well, actually, I'm on the tail end of bronchitis. So if I've, my voice sounds a little rougher than usual. That's because I'm still coughing. But Hopefully I will be able to edit all the coughs out of our episode so it isn't um, bothering the listener. I had the joy of planning for an evacuation for about a week um, <laughs> until it turns out we didn't have to evacuate. Yeah. It was uh, Hurricane Florence. Yep. I still think it was just a, a big ploy by progressive insurance. <laughs> But since we're actually reviewing this movie because it was in theaters and we have, we're not working on a DVD one, we will do a little bit of initial reactions before we dive in. It's, since it's all historical though, I don't think we need to avoid spoilers, do we? I mean, I don't know. It's probably not a massive deal at this point. Yeah. To be honest, I went in with that movie unspoiled by history because I didn't really know anything about the whole topic. I learned from the movie, which is, you know, one of the things that I put in my initial reactions that I was entertained and educated by the movie because I got to follow the narrative without any clue how the movie was going to come out at the end. And I was entertained. And yeah. I mean, I think about the only thing I knew about this era of history was that Nazis had fled um, to South America. And that was about all I knew. Yeah, Argentina in yeah. particular. I think there were other countries too, but in this case, it was Argentina. Uh, I remember seeing that in some kind of conspiracy theory about Hitler having escaped and going. I don't remember whether it was Argentina. It may have been a different South American country. Yeah. It was something my dad was watching on the History Channel, and I was an unwilling audience because I don't typically watch that kind of stuff. Yeah, one thing I've never looked into is why were South American countries... So receptive, because I—I I mean, in in this movie, and I don't mean to jump ahead at all, but uh, in in Operation Finale, the local constabulary seems um, complacent <laughs> in mm -hmm. in keeping the uh, the Nazi Party safe. Yeah. So it's—I don't know exactly how true to life that was, but. It's. I. I wonder what it is. What it was about the um, the society of South America at the time that made it so. I don't perfect. know that it was the society of South America. I think it was the prep the Nazis had done in advance. I think that they were always. Ah. I think they had been prepping in advance, um, hidey holes that they could dive into, mm -hmm. with the idea that if something you know happened with their ideals for world do domination, that they could run and hide. So yeah, I think it was pro it was probably more of a prep, you know, whether that they had already been using those countries, already had a presence there. Yeah. Um, before we talk too much about the movie, you want to talk about the music? Oh yeah, um, the music is by Alexandre Desplat. I'm going to try my French there. <laughs> that was very well, very well done. Yes, I practiced. I was, I don't know, the soundtrack kind of disconnected me just a little bit, and. Some people may have liked it. Uh, I was re-listening to it on YouTube, and I don't know, like the intro piece felt a little too gumshoe, or and almost, almost like it was a, a um, action comedy instead of a drama. 
Mm. And so there was a little of a disconnect, at least at the beginning of the movie, the initial music that played. Um, for me, it was a bit of a disconnect, but through the rest of the movie, the rest of the score that I listened to is pretty subtle and pretty quiet. I don't know that I would say it's one of Diplaw's best soundtracks. has he done Philomena oh the King's Speech he did a really good job with the King's Speech which is a fabulous movie by the way I only recently saw it this summer and I absolutely loved it <laughs> yeah it's I think it's probably one of my top uh, top 25 favorites mm -hmm. it fits in really well with the the crown on Netflix so if you're you watch the King's Speech and then immediately go into the watching the crown they, they kind of seamlessly fit together nice all right so we should also point folks over to if you have not seen it yet and uh you may be listening to this uh prior to possibly renting it or getting it from redbox or you know catching it on netflix if that's the case uh we encourage you to check out the plugged in online review mm -hmm. for operation finale they always do a great job breaking down the positives and the negatives much better um, than we do, honestly. Yeah. Well, they have a different focus. <laughs> yep. Um, and uh, it's, uh, in particular, it's a great place to go if you are investigating whether or not it's appropriate for your uh, various aged children. Mm -hmm. This one, I think, despite the rather dark content, mm -hmm. uh, or rather, it's not even, the, not even the content that's dark. The undertone, the foundation is dark. It, well, it's it's World War Two. It's discussing the crimes of exactly. World War Two. You can't go through that without experiencing some of the horrors of that. It's it's hard to talk Holocaust without getting dark, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just it's a sad topic of of life, and the fact that the attitudes of the Nazis were continued in what you see of them in this movie. This is post World War Two. You're seeing a lot of the same attitudes that are being portrayed by the Nazis that are portrayed in the film. And yeah. so it's it's really hard. I mean, this this movie is definitely one that opens avenues for discussion. And I think if families are watching it, they should be watching it from that standpoint of talking about um, some of the things we'll be talking about in this episode. Yep, absolutely. All right, so uh, initial reactions. You've already mentioned. Uh... Yes, the that I enjoyed the fact that it, you know that it entertained me and educated me at the same time. But of course, the biggest thing that you have to say, and you and I both agree about this, is mm. Ben Kingsley was amazing. That man, <laughs> it never ceases to amaze me. First words out of my mouth when the, the credits started to roll at the end of the movie was Ben Kingsley will play anything. <laughs> <laughs> And does it well. And does it very well, yes. Yeah, he he really, the way he presents his character is somehow both sort of relatable, sympathetic, mm -hmm. but also so creepy that you want to take a shower. <laughs> yeah. It's, oh, he clearly, uh, he just does such a good job. And, you know, I was actually thinking after getting out of the movie, that there are a lot of similarities between how he plays uh, Adolf Eichmann mm -hmm. and Mahatma Gandhi. <laughs> but I don't. I haven't seen that performance, but I know him from other movies like Ender's Game and yeah. uh, Iron Man Three. <laughs> Iron Man Three. Yeah, you forgot him in that one. That was more of a comedy role, and he did a very yes, good it job. Yes, it was. Yeah. Uh, I've just, you know, I've seen him all over the place and it really yeah. amazes me every time I see him, how well he just absorbs a character and, and plays it very well. 
He really does the nuances of the character mm-hmm. well and plays those nuances to the point where they help define the character in ways that you don't expect. Right. It's I really uh mannerisms and attitude and facial expressions and he yeah. gets it all. Yeah. For me, the uh I liked it that the movie didn't really seem to have so many of the movies coming out of Hollywood and uh as a matter of fact, you just about thirty minutes prior to our recording, you you put up a um a Ben Shapiro Prager University video on Facebook. Mm-hmm. That talks about this exact thing, but uh, so much of what comes out of Hollywood um, has ulterior motives, and it's a big part of, of what Are You Just Watching is seeking to uh, not combat, but uh, to Expose. spotlight. Yeah. I really don't feel like this one had any ulterior motives. It didn't seem to be pitching one side or the other. It didn't seem to be pitching... So much the the mission of Israel over the uh, over the Nazis, for that matter, it didn't really even more than I would have expected. You know, harped on the idea Nazis are bad. It really seemed to present everything in in a clear, mostly factual manner mm-hmm. that allowed the the user to make the decisions. And I really, I really appreciate it. And and you know, it's so much easier to do that with historical movies. Right. It's uh, the Monument Men that we did uh, uh, some time back. You put them in their historical context and just let that speak for itself. Yeah, so exactly. I, I would say that the Nazis did come across in this movie as fairly bad, but that's... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's hard to present Nazis in a good light, so you just show Nazis... But it was all Nazis, factual. Yeah, it's Nazis being Nazis, and Nazis are yeah. bad, so... Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um and uh for me uh, it's i really uh liked how they portrayed and i i don't know and none of the sources i was able to find could uh, really talked about this but how they portrayed the inner struggle uh both of each member of the Mossad team mm-hmm. and uh between the members of the Mossad team between uh regarding what justice actually would be and that's actually that leads right into the first topic. Or yeah. Really, because we're doing a uh, a shorter episode today, uh, the primary topic that we're going to discuss, which is um, the difference between vengeance and um, justice. And justice. Yeah, yeah, and I think that that was it, it was not a subtle message at all in this movie. It was right out there in the front because one of the first scenes that you see in the movie is them going after a Nazi, a specific Nazi that was on their list. And they raid this home and they pull the guy out. And the lead character was questioning the wife and and all and finds out that it's not the Nazi that they were looking for. But Mm -hmm. by the time he gets out into the yard, they'd already killed him. You know, he he says, wait a minute, we didn't have the right guy. And the response was, he's on somebody's list. He's a Nazi. Yeah. So it, it, it didn't matter to them whether they had the guy they were looking for. They found a Nazi. And so they killed him. Yeah. And they they executed him right there. Yes. It's an interesting reflection on how they handle Eichmann with the in, the focus on getting him back to Israel for trial. I think that may have been a difference there in that Eichmann was a specific target that they wanted to bring to trial. Yeah. I don't know that they really wanted to bring every Nazi they found to trial, which kind of begs the question of, as Eichmann kept saying throughout the movie, you're going to put me on trial for the the actions of an entire nation, entire regime. They wanted him as a figurehead because he was the... um, The architect of the final solution. The final solution, Yeah. Well, the scene that they showed so often in the movie, which had, I think, the most impact was all of the Jews in this, you know, in this ditch that had been dug, you know, or as far as you could see, with Nazis all lined up on either side with guns. And they don't ever actually show you them shooting them. The shooting's kind of done off camera, but the implication is there. And we know that they did do that. That yep, yep. They they would shoot them in the ditches. 
they're basically showing it as, you know, he was there. He gave the order to shoot. There was a specific story part that was going on in that, um, that he used against Peter at near the end of the movie. Yeah. But yeah, that, that's a, a visual that, you know, you almost take away. You can't get out of your mind after you finish watching the movie. And Kingsley's uh, delivery of that scene. Mm -hmm. So this uh, this is when they're getting ready to uh, finally extradite him after uh, a number of different hiccups in the plan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, it appears that Eichmann has decided that uh, perhaps. And uh, this is just my interpretation here, but perhaps death is the better way to go. So I get the sense that he was trying to goad Peter into killing him because he was suggesting that he remembered Peter's sister and nieces and nephews. Mm -hmm, she was holding the baby up. Yeah. Yeah. And the way he describes it. And, you know, the real Eichmann and Kingsley's Eichmann both very clearly believed in what they were doing they they didn't really have any regret there was no maybe i was wrong and that was actually the sh most shocking thing for me for the whole movie was here you have a man who uh, engineered the attempted extermination the attempted genocide of an entire people an entire nation mm -hmm. of people. And he still, 15 years later, was completely convinced that not only did he do the right thing, but that he was actively fighting the enemies of Germany. Right. And uh, there's a couple scenes where it shows the Nazi party meeting in uh, like a bar in Argentina. And, and uh, there's one scene where Eichmann is actually asked to speak as uh, as an honored guest and, and he's giving his rationale. And it's all presented as as you might expect an American general to be talking about the uh, how they handled the battle of Iwo Jima yeah things like the Jews are clawing back power taking their jobs they're popping up everywhere like mushrooms after a rain there is a decay a rot inside our country the Jew that's continuing to poison this great nation of Argentina so yeah the the words are just ugh. It it really they really did seem to be working on rebuilding the third Reich in Ar Argentina that mm-hmm and I wish I knew more about the, the background of that. There's a number of really good videos out there, but the ones I had focused on were specifically on, on Eichmann and... Um, His and, trial. Yeah, the the uh, Nuremberg trials, uh, how that all tied in. I wish now, you know, I had looked more at how South America played into it because the more we talk about it, the more I do wonder. Mm -hmm. But uh, regarding how Eichmann didn't see anything wrong. It it made me think of uh, Proverbs 28.5. Uh, the evil do not understand justice, mm. but those who seek the Lord understand everything. And mm -hmm. uh, that, actually, um, that actually ties with a quote from uh, Thomas Aquinas. Mercy without justice is a matter of, is a mother of dissolution. Justice mm -hmm. without mercy is cruelty. Mm -hmm. It really does tie into, um, uh, for me, it ties into the nature of God's holiness. And uh, the justice springs from uh, from God's holiness and the absolute necessity that he is set apart from the sin of this world. Mm -hmm. um, it is perfect justice that all sinners, and that is everyone, should be condemned to eternal death. Mm -hmm. But the mercy is that Christ took our sins upon him yeah. as the perfect sacrifice. Mm -hmm. I don't want to imply that we should not be seeking justice in this world, though. 
because we should. Uh, yeah. We should be we should be reflecting uh, God and uh, reflecting Christ in our uh, daily Christian lives. We I think we need to be careful what we consider justice to be. Oh, a good point. Because the, the issue that we have, especially in our culture today, is that we've misappropriated the word justice hmm. to mean a whole bunch of things that in the long run are not useful, basically, to humanity in general. Yeah. And the reason I say that, and we, we dealt with this a little bit when we were talking about the red pill, is that you can create this utopia in your mind of the way things should be. And then you're trying to achieve through human action, this human rational utopia that we know as Christians simply cannot exist. It, it's simply an impossible dream. And you can actually create what the Nazis were doing. The whole point of the Nazis was that they were trying to create the perfect man. And in order to create the perfect man, it meant they had to get rid of any, any of the ingredients that made man imperfect. Mm-hmm. And and it's that vision of human made utopia that creates this kind of of uh, regime that is actually deadly to mankind. And so we, we have to be careful of where we're putting our eyes and where we're putting our focus on and what kind of justice we're looking for. Because if we put our eyes on the wrong kind of justice, we can actually go the route the Nazis were going. You had mentioned an Albert Mueller podcast, uh, his daily briefing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just from this Wednesday, he was talking about the Cosby hearings that have been going on. And he made some comments about the human court justice versus God's justice. Because mm-hmm. uh, he was talking about, you know, a lot of people, I guess, are upset about the, about Cosby's age. And, uh, you know, the fact that he's going to prison. And he's an old man and all mm-hmm. of this. And it's a really interesting, I don't want to summarize it. I, I prefer people, we'll put the link in our show notes, prefer people Absolutely. go and listen to it. Uh, Al Moeller is an incredibly, uh, what I consider incredibly wise man from a Christian worldview perspective. And I really love to get his take on things. But it just, when I was listening to him, I was a little behind on our on my listening. Um, and I was listening to that this morning. And since we were prepping for this podcast, it just suddenly dawned on me that what he was saying had some very interesting ramifications on what we were going to be talking about in this episode with you know the the concept of what human just how humans view justice and what god views justice as because it is completely different and a lot of that is based on the fact that we are not looking we humans look at it from a mortal standpoint and god's justice is is beyond time it is eternal and i i think there i have to look it up to see what the reference is, but there's that scripture in the new Testament says that uh, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. Uh, Yeah. And that is what the vast majority of humanity is looking at. If they don't accept the free gift of salvation, it's free. They don't have to do anything to get it. And when you get it, when you have the Holy spirit dwelling in you, it does change your perspective on how you interact with people and what your goals are and what your your perspective is because you gain instead of this mortal short-sighted perspective of do it does everybody have the same amount of money does is everybody treated equally is everybody are, are we seeking this human made utopia but instead we look at man as sinful mm-hmm. we have we understand why people like bill cosby do bad things we we understand that that's in the heart of every man and that this, you know, this picture of a human utopia can never be achieved through human law, that we have to turn to God's law. So it does give us a different perspective when you have, when you institute the Holy Spirit into that. Yeah, I, I don't think it is within our capability, even as Christians, really, to apply perfect justice to um, our social standing. And, and uh, it, not too long ago, we talked about the red pill. Mm-hmm. Recently, it's been in the news. Uh, John MacArthur, uh, an evangelical uh, pastor, um, and a, a coalition of of other evangelical speakers, uh, put together mm-hmm. this uh, statement on social justice in the gospel. Right, and which Al uh, Mohler did not sign, believe it or not. Yep. Yep. 
it's really interesting because there are so many good things in it, but uh, the majority of the people that I have uh, read that should, that opted not to sign it or mm-hmm. uh, for one reason or the other, it seems that they... They couldn't agree with everything in it. Right. And the, the stuff that they couldn't agree with were the human definitions, mm-hmm. uh, the vagaries of the human definitions, all the way down to general things like what is social justice mm-hmm. the the gospel is is really clearly defined but if you can't define the the human side of mm-hmm. of what social justice is it becomes uh much more difficult to apply in formulaic terms mm-hmm. uh, how the gospel should interact with it and uh, I think it. I think really, what it comes back to is how the gospel uh, lies in your heart, mm-hmm. and then you use that through the light of Scripture to apply it to your daily life. And I think that that is the key. It's not regulating people in mass; it's changing people's hearts as individuals. Yep. yep. Because if you try to do it through law and government and regulation, then you're not changing the hearts of people, the individual people. You're just creating an environment where people feel wronged. And so you have to, it has to be. That's why I really feel like the real solution is breeding more Christians, (laughs) you know, Mm. by spreading the gospel, because with every light you flick on in somebody, um, then you know, that changes their heart and then they share the gospel and it changes another heart. And it goes back to that top, the way I was talking about it in the red pill. But in reference to this movie, pulling back to what the justice is being discussed in this movie, this movie is actually talking not so much about social justice, but criminal justice. And we have the Nazis who in, in every definition, they were evil, except their own. Their, yeah, their exactly. <laughs> yeah. But it it was one of those things where they used a scapegoat. They blamed all the ills on the Jew. Right. And that and that gave them an you know, if we just wipe out all the Jews, then we we will be living in this beautiful utopia that we all seek. And we'll have the perfect man and and all mm-hmm. of that. That they they used the Jews as a scapegoat. From a historical perspective, it was very easy for them to use it. Uh, the Jews as a scapegoat because the Jews from medieval Europe all the way up through the the start of World War One, mm-hmm. the Jews controlled a significant portion of the wealth mm-hmm. through wise application of well, a lot of it was wise ap- application of scriptural truisms. Yeah, and they're also blessed by God. I mean, they're His people. He blesses them. Yeah. And I think that's one thing that people tend to overlook is that I, I put in here Romans twelve nineteen through 20, which is a reference to how we should be dealing with the topic of vengeance, which we've been leaning more towards dealing with the topic of justice. But in the Bible, it tells us that we are not to be vengeful. And uh, it says in Romans twelve nineteen through 20, it says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heat burning coals on his head. But that scripture references Deuteronomy 32, 35, which if you go to Deuteronomy 32, you'll find out that it is the final song of Moses talking about his people. And if you go down to where that script, that verse is pulled from, the vengeance is mine. It comes from an area in, in here where it's talking about people mistreating his, his people, you know, mm-hmm. God's people. It says, is not this laid up in store with me, sealed up in my treasures? Vengeance is mine in recompense for the time when their foot shall slip. For the day of their calamity is at hand and their doom comes swiftly. For the Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants. When he sees that their power is gone and there is none remaining bond or free, then he will say, where are their gods, the rock in which they took refuge, who ate the fat of their sacrifices and drank the wine of their drink offering? Let them rise up and help you. Let them be your protection. So this is all Moses telling his people that God will protect them and defend them. 
And so in the context of what we're talking about here about vengeance is these are Jews who are seeking vengeance for wrong that was done to them in, and it was serious wrong. Believe me, it was serious (laughs) wrong Um, at, at the hands of the Nazis. And they're struggling with this, this need for vengeance. And instead they basically are able to enact justice, which is what it's the way it was supposed to be done. Mm-hmm. And, and God has promised that if they don't act vengefully, he will step in. Yeah. So, yeah. uh, I think that that was uh, very interesting that when I looked up, cause I knew that verse was in the Bible and I was looking for it and I found the Romans first and that the fact that it references back to, um, Moses's final song right before he died was very interesting. And, you know, it's um, that one part, vengeance is mine, uh, saith the Lord. That is, that's one of those that is so misused mm-hmm. <laughs> throughout all of, all of uh, Christendom. What was the name of that, that, uh, that group that would protest um, uh, veterans funerals and, and. Oh uh, yeah. The, um. That nasty church. Yeah. They would use that and judge not lest ye be judged is often used by uh, progressives, even though, you know, in both cases, it's complete, completely, completely taken out, out of, context. of context. Yeah. And um, it's, yeah, it's really tying it all back together. It, it really does come down to um, uh, whether or not the, the men uh, on this, uh, on this Mossad team, uh, take vengeance or if they, uh, or if they seek justice mm-hmm. and they certainly, every single one of them, there's a, there's a scene in the movie where, um, that they don't go around the whole table, but they're sitting around the table and they, they talk about people they, they lost in the war. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it is clear that every single one of them lost somebody. Have, yeah, they, yeah. They have reason to extract vengeance. Right. And, I think it was interesting, though, that going quickly, going back to my the Romans verse, it says yeah. on the contrary, uh, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. That was actually how Peter got to Eichmann and got him to sign his extradition, that he he actually treated him like a human being instead of mm-hmm. instead of trying to torture the signature out of him he went in and made friends with him and yeah. he gave him things to eat and he provided him with glasses so that he could read and he, he saw to his needs yep and i think that that was that you know that whole phrase where for by so doing you will heat burning coals on his head he was returning kindness to eichmann that eichmann never gave to the jews yeah and I think that that in in the end where you were talking about why Eichmann goaded Peter there at the end, I really think it, it was dual purpose. I think he wanted he wanted to die without going to going to trial because he mm-hmm. felt like the trial would be a sham. But he also wanted Peter to do it because he 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 had wanted to be in Peter's head. He didn't want Peter to be in his. Yeah. You know what I'm saying it was like he didn't like the idea that Peter had manipulated him. And so he, in turn, tried to manipulate Peter. I think it was uh, kind of a shoot back across the bow kind of thing. Yeah. It's, I, you know, it, watching the movie, I was, for the first three quarters or maybe two thirds of the movie, I was convinced that Eichmann was um, just a master manipulator mm-hmm. and was using Peter's attempt to befriend, uh, not befriend, but uh, to be kind. Be kind. To uh, to turn it around on uh, on him, and uh, it, by the end of the movie, I I think uh, it Eichmann was just that deluded. Yeah. Um, well, not to say that he wasn't trying to manipulate Peter, but he he was. He was, and but, but this uh, is the thing: this is that Peter knew that the only way to get to Eichmann was to play to his arrogance, and that's what he was doing. He was playing to to Eichmann's self-aggrandizing arrogance and yeah and you have to use their own weaknesses against them and that's what he was doing and if if you haven't if you're not familiar with the story you haven't seen the movie the reason that they needed uh they needed Eichmann to cooperate was their their extradition plan involved flying uh out on a uh um I don't remember what the name of the I think it was the Argentinian 
Argentinian national airline. Um, but they, uh, at the very last moment, like the day before they were supposed to leave, the airline came back and said, uh, we're not flying him unless we have a sheet of paper signed by Eichmann that says I'm going willingly. Mm, yeah. And they had to, uh, they had to figure out how they were going to get that sheet of paper. And they talked about, uh, they talked about forging his signature. But they didn't know what his signature looked like. So. <laughs> that, that makes it hard to forge, doesn't it? Um, and uh, they talked about uh, they talked about torturing it out of him. And uh, mm-hmm. there was one line: uh, um, uh, "You have to be willing to make him scream." Mm-hmm. Um, and these people, uh, these Mossad agents, they were perfectly willing to uh, to torture Eichmann to get to get the signature and uh, Eichmann actually uh, a number of times asks after the safety of his family. Mm-hmm. And I think the implication here was that the rest of the, uh, or at least some other members of the Mossad team would have willingly used, you know, his family, uh, threatening his family's safety. Mm-hmm. Um, even his little three-year-old son if you to, think about it, that that that's the way the Nazis would have. I exactly. mean, why would he think the Mossads would do anything different? Because that's what Nazis would have done. Yeah, there's actually actually when uh, Eichmann asks for like the third time, uh, uh, please just tell me, my family are they safe? Uh, and Peter finally answers him, uh, and I think this is actually the line he broke his silence with. Uh, of course they are. What do you think of us? Yeah. And that that really was a, 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 a you know, a, a contrast to uh, how the Nazis uh, are shown in the movie uh, mm-hmm. treating these these families, these children. Mm-hmm. They didn't see them as human. I think that's it. It's an instance that we do. Human humans are really grid at taking somebody you want and demonizing them to the point where you question their humanity. Yeah. And the Nazis didn't treat the Jews like they were even humans. And, you know, we have dirty, rotten things in our past as well. I mean, the slave trade was a very similar thing. And we have to remember that every human being is created in the image of God and has their life has worth and they have value because of that, if for no other reason. And that should be the Christian perspective on every living human being. Yeah, and you know, we we also have to remember: should we ever be faced with our own personal Eichmanns, that no mm-hmm. person who has ever walked this earth has been beyond saving. Right. They they may very well go to their grave unsaved, but it wasn't because it was beyond the salvation of Christ. It was because they did not receive Christ. Right. Yes, everybody has that potential. And God knows who will be saved and who won't, but we don't. So we have mm-hmm. to treat every person as a potential um, as a potential for salvation and, and treat them as, as they have the image of God in, inside them and on them. Yeah. Before we go close out there were a couple other things i wanted to talk about beyond mm-hmm. the whole vengeance thing which is obviously the main the main idea of the movie but it was there was a couple times where eichmann made comments um he said you have no interest in what i have to say unless it confirms what you think you already know um he also i think it was near the beginning uh where he was actually on trial they like showed him on trial before they went into the movie or maybe it was at the I, think I, don't that's, I think that was where he was giving the speech giving a speech or something he said yeah. I hope some historians will not stray from the truth of what we discuss here today and I just there were multiple times through here where they were talking about who gets to decide what happened and it's a good reminder to us um, what's that that slogan that the winner always writes the history books yeah um, that H- what history we, is written History is written by the winners. Yeah, it's. I'm sorry. Yeah. You're right. That <laughs> <laughs> um, it's it's one of those situations where we are raised on history and we think that that history defines the world the way we know it. It's 
part of our worldview. It's part of what builds the way we look at the world. But history is written by the winners. And so we may not, the history we taught may not be the actual God truth on what happened because humanity we tend to have a certain point of view, a certain perspective, and we don't, we don't see the other side. And when we write down our, you know, the his, the people who keep the history books are the ones who had, are the ones they get to record their perspective. And so mm-hmm. we don't always get the other perspective and we definitely vilify Nazis. And I don't think there's anything redeeming in anything they ever did. And I, I don't think that there was probably any way, other way to view Eichmann other than the fact that he did, um, figure out how to kill um, over 6 million Jews. Yeah, he certainly um, appeared to be a psychopath. Yeah. Um, there's probably very little redeeming, very little redeeming even to see it from his point of view. Mm. But, you know, and the thing that he kept saying was, you know, that he was just following orders, that he was just doing what was that anybody would do to protect their country from enemies. So you have to be careful when you're looking at any perspective and that that goes to show for even for those of us who live in what we think is the greatest country in the world united states of america that we have to be careful of our perspectives and remember that we need to always be looking at things from a godly perspective and not Mm -hmm. necessarily i i I love my country i am not going to sit here and diss the usa i do think it's a great country but one of the things that the last few elections have taught me and this goes back you know eight twelve years that I cannot put my faith in this country. I cannot put my faith in what we are doing in our country or what we have done in our country or what we might do in our country. My faith is in God. My perspective should be a biblical one first and foremost before anything else. My citizenship in heaven is far more important than my citizenship in the USA. Yeah. And um, there were a couple other little things that I wanted to talk about. Um, don't know whether these were any that you were interested in. Um, there was one phrase that Eichmann said, everyone uses flippant terms for dirty work. That one struck close to home because especially in the far leaning right, I won't call the, call it the alt-right because I don't actually believe the alt-right are, part, are actually right in our country. Mm-hmm. A lot of people that I even know who are, are staunchly conservative and, and very um, right-leaning in their the methodology will refer to their opponents in using, you know, messing up their names or saying, you know, nice things about people, slandering people. Yeah. And I think that we have to be very careful about how we present ourselves when we're talking about people we don't like. And I'm, I'm pointing as many fingers at myself. I'm usually very, very careful. I try very hard not to, call people names and Mm -hmm. and, um, mess up their names or say bad things about people, even when I disagree with them. And I think that um, I'm just saying this from a Christian perspective, we should never make light of other people, even if we disagree with them. Yeah. It's it's almost the first step of that dehumanization that you were talking about. Mm -hmm. It's you start to tear the, tear them down as a person and suddenly you no longer see them as a person. Right. And we should never do that. As Christians, especially, we should never do that. That just should not even be in our frame of focus to ever, you know, and I even hate to say it, but, you know, people were calling Obama, Obama or Hillary, Hillary, Um, Mm. you know, just, you know, just dehumanizing them in the way they referred to them and that they didn't even deserve their names to be said correctly. And. I just refuse to go that far. I have very strong political beliefs, but I refuse to go that far. And I think that everybody in some way or another is guilty on on either side. And we just have to be very careful how we refer to people and how we treat people and to realize that the other person on the other side of the debate is a human being made in the image of God and not get flippant with our language. It's, you know, they, we may not agree with them, but uh, it is it is possible that the that the person on the other side of our debate may have just as strong a faith in God as we do, and or just just it, as strong a faith in something. Oh uh, yeah, <laughs> I I was thinking uh, I was thinking you know they 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 may be just as Christian they may be just have a different 
interpretation of of how Jesus would be doing something or mm-hmm. how scripture applies and uh and you know they may be wrong but Jesus wouldn't dehumanize them in order to uh, to address them Jesus would uh be using scripture well, I don't know. I mean, he did speak pretty strongly to the Pharisees, so oh, I don't know that that means that we have to be like little lambs walking into discussions as if, you know, oh, I just have to love you regardless of what you say. I think we are supposed to correct people who are in error and do it strongly, but I don't think we have to be rude to do right. it. Right. And though, to be honest, you know, Christ did call them snakes. Filthy, well, he called them he had some liars and hypocrites. So, uh, yeah, he, he was not nice. In but some that of was true. Language, but, yeah. <laughs> but that doesn't mean that we have to be um, overly rude. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Well, you know what? We when, be... when I can be as sure of something about uh, Jesus was, then maybe I'll start yeah. doing that. <laughs> yeah. But that doesn't that doesn't mean that that we should dehumanize the people that we are speaking to right. by all means. And. Uh, like you said earlier, we, we treat everybody as a potential for salvation. And be, to be honest, dehumanizing them and speaking rudely to them is not showing them the love of God. And no. so we have to be careful in the way we communicate. One of the last phrases or sentences in the movie was, I think you worry that the future will look like the past. Uh, and I think that was said um, to Peter by one of his friends. And I'm not positive. I'm You've seen the movie more recently. Does that stand out to you? Yeah, yeah. It was uh, it was actually right after one of my favorite lines. History only remembers the tall people. <laughs> but that yeah, it was humorous, so that one stuck with me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. But yeah, I think that 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 was kind of an interesting conclusion. Is that you, that the worry was that after all of this effort that they'd gone to to bring the Nazis to justice, that they were looking at a future that it might not matter. Yeah. And from from a present standpoint, looking at what's going on for poor Israel in surrounded by hate in the mm-hmm. Middle East and even having a, a culture here in our in our in the US of very anti Semitic on in certain political places, um we have to be very careful that we don't create a future in in which we villainize people and turn them into a scapegoat and slaughter them um, like animals. And that that's what was done. Um, even though Eichmann himself said we're all animals, some of us have bigger teeth. Um, hmm. That's to me. I think that's a very evolutionary standpoint. That's a that's. I think that's one of the harms that evolution has done to our culture and our society. Is yeah. that it's it's made us lose the the spark of divinity that is in every human, um, taken away the image of God and made us taken the away image the of image of God, yeah, and just turned us into nothing but animals. And when you look at man as nothing but an animal, then it it approve puts approval, a stamp of approval on all sorts of behaviors that we would never do if as if we acknowledged the image of God in every living being and mm-hmm. abortions, one of them. I mean that, that whole idea of a conceived infant, a unique genetically unique human being made in the image of God is just disposable because it's just unwanted. Inconvenient. Inconvenient. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, that uh, sort of ties back uh, why I think movies like this in particular are important to watch with your teenagers. Mm, um, yeah. Because they're, they're growing up in a, in a time where they not we may not be uh focusing on history as much it it ties back to that old uh truism history is doomed to re- repeat yeah, itself those, those who do not re- remember history are doomed to replace to repeat it mm-hmm. yeah and on that note we would love to know what everybody else thought of this movie i'm hoping that people have gone to see it when i was on the imdb it looked like they their current Uh, intake on the movie was less than the budget of the movie so i don't know that it's doing incredibly well so hopefully everybody has gone to see this or seen it on dvd um or wait till it comes on netflix i'm sure it'll end up there at some point Mm, yeah 
But if you would like to comment, um, the show notes will be at areyoujustwatching.com slash 85. You can leave us a voicemail at 903-231-2221. You can email us feedback at, or email us by emailing feedback at areyoujustwatching.com. You can join our Facebook discussion group. We only have a couple handfuls of people in there really like to see that blow up to a lot of people talking about movies like this, where we can delve into a deeper discussion about, you know, vengeance or uh, the, uh, how we react to people and, you know, the, the image of God that is in every person. So there's lots of ways that we can branch out and talk about this movie. Uh, We ask that you subscribe, rate and review us on iTunes. Um, You can follow me on Twitter at Eve Franklin. And you can follow me on Twitter at Renchepley, R-E-N-C-H-E-P-L-E. And I think that's it. I We don't have anything lined up for our next episode, but as soon as we know what we're doing, we'll try and mention it, at least in the discussion group. We, we would like you to support our podcast. Uh, we, Patreon made some changes uh, just in the last month or so that knocked off a couple of our supporters. And I don't think it was their intention to be knocked off. So if you are supporting us, we ask that you check and make sure that you're still, your support is still going through. Uh, but we do want to thank our current patrons, Amanda, John, Craig Hardy, Richard French, and Stephen Brown, the second for their generous support. And you can support us by going to patreon.com slash. Are you just watching? And please consider a small monthly gift to keep this podcast going. Thank you. Thank you so much. I think that's it. My voice is going, as everybody can probably hear. <laughs> and <laughs> It's taking a vacation. It's taking a vacation. Hopefully I will have it back um, when we record next month. And I'm, this episode may be, a little be, may be a little late, but we are going to work really hard to get it out by the end of September, which is two days from now. <laughs> we'll make it. We'll make it. All right. Uh, thank you so much for listening. I'm E. Franklin. I'm Tim Martin. And don't just watch. Are You Just Watching is a proud member of Noodle Mix Network. Subscribe to more of our podcasts to make you think, laugh, and succeed at noodlemix.net.